To fantasy baseball today presented by Line and Kugels. More on their great variety of beverages later on in the podcast. Friday, August 27th, Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White here to get you ready. For week 23, we have sleepers, two-star pitchers, a prospect report, Thursday's action, fantasy justice, and much more. But first, Scott, I have a piece of advice for you. Are you ready? Sure. Do not eat an egg sandwich and then go play tennis in 90 degree weather. Is that what you did? That That is, I have some color here. I didn't really realize until we went live here. I guess the red shirt's kind of bringing it out a little bit. But yeah, I, I did that on Thursday. And you know what? It was Didn't awful. Well. It was awful. Why, why would I do that? Why would anybody do that? It's... And I do that all the time, right? Like I, I eat right before I go to do some kind of physical activity. It's such a bad idea. Why, why do I keep doing it? Don't do that. I don't know. I don't know. You're you're young and inexperienced, and you you make mistakes like everybody else. I sure do. Well, don't be so hard on yourself. Just remember for next time, file it away. I always say that, and then I just never do it. By the way, <laughs> I uh, I was playing tennis with Ariel Cohen, who we've had here on this podcast, and he does great work. You can follow him on Twitter at atcny. And Ariel put the works on me, man. He beat me. I I was gassed. I had nothing, man. Like I had nothing. So. Shout out to Ariel Cohen. He <laughs> tennis absolutely is exhausting. Tennis and in dude, it was like 93, 94 degrees here in New York. So it was just like an yeah. awful idea. I have no idea what I'm doing. Anyway, let's talk about baseball. <laughs> nobody wanna nobody wants to hear about my eating habits or tennis or whatever we might talk about. But also I will just preface everything with if I go crazy at any point throughout the podcast and just start freaking out. It's because I have the Yankee game on here. I'm not I'm not used to watching the Yankees on the West Coast. So Yankees on the side. We're doing the podcast. There's a lot going on right now. Let's start with the Yankees nemesis, the Red Sox. Chris Sale is back, baby. And shout out to you, Scott, because you were not worried all along. You were like, nah, he's fine. He's Chris Sale. And he reminded us of that in his third start of the season on Thursday. Five and a third, two runs, eight strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes on 80 pitches, he had an immaculate inning, the third of his career, tying Sandy Koufax. But what was even more impressive mm. was the fact that he averaged 94.3 miles per hour on the fastball, by far his hardest fastball velocity of the season. It's only been three starts, but yeah, this was the best that he's looked. He maxed out at 98 miles per hour on that fastball, threw more sliders, and Scott, I did a massive rankings update on Thursday. I moved Chris Sale up to SP13 in the ranks. Hmm. That's high. That's pretty high. It I is. think there's certainly a case for it. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with Chris Sale. And I don't care whether he's throwing 92.5 or 94 as he was today. You know, I, I think uh, we've seen him miss a ton of bats since he came up. Nobody's hitting him particularly hard. I would like to see him go six innings eventually. Uh, let me check where I have him at the last update, 20th. Oh, I need to pull Jack Flaherty down, though. But yeah, clearly clearly somebody who you should plan to just 
leave in your lineup. He's a fixture there now. Doesn't really matter what the matchups are, how many how many games he's starting for the upcoming week. Chris Sale is is an ace and deserves to be treated like one. Absolutely. Just ahead of Chris Sale in the ranks, I have Carlos Rodon, Luis Castillo, and I moved Robbie Ray inside of my top 10. Just behind Chris Sale, Aaron Nola, Charlie Morton, and Sandy Alcantara. Let's talk about some other players who went off on Thursday. Oh my good goodness gracious! All right, Scott, who you got? I got Carlos Carrasco, mm. who also had his best best start since returning from the IL. But he really needed to have a best start since returning from the IL. There, there had been a couple, couple rough, rough ones. But against the Giants on Thursday, so you know, not exactly, not not one of these, not one of these teams that. Stripped down their lineup at the trade deadline, and they're basically fielding a bunch of AAA guys now. The Giants, <laughs> the best team in baseball, according to win-loss record. Uh, seven strong for Carlos Carrasco. Only needed 78 pitches to get through those seven innings. Struck out five, allowed two runs, three hits, no walks. Uh, velocity was up more than one mile per hour on his four most thrown pitches. So, you know, across the board, he showed velocity improvement. But, you know, he was, he was, his previous start, he he looked like he might be beginning to come around three earned runs and five at the Dodgers. So another really tough matchup. And uh, kind of seemed like he was getting back under control. You know, not, not a great result in that one, but a step in the right direction. And then we saw him, uh, we saw him look like retro, Retro Carrasco in this one again in a very tough matchup. So uh, he has he's facing the Marlins next week. Uh, so that's a that's a great matchup. He's seventy six percent rostered in CBS Sports leagues right now. So I can get away with putting him in my sleeper pitchers for the upcoming scoring period. And in fact, he's my number one sleeper pitcher for the upcoming scoring period, going against the Marlins as he is. I'm with it. Some people might have uh, lost the faith, obviously, based on that roster percentage. But yeah, against the Marlins next week, everybody dominates the Marlins, except Patrick Corbin. (laughs) Did you see Patrick Corbin (laughs) against the Marlins on Thursday? I Look, I apologize. I truly do apologize, because I think I might have said before the week to start him in this matchup, because he had all the velocity was up, or I might have said when we do streamers at the end of the podcast to use him, but... He's, oh my gosh. Remember what I said about Zach Plesak yesterday, Scott? Do you remember? Uh, you, you were, you, you, you wish you hadn't recommended starting him against the Rangers. Yes. This is what, this is what everybody <laughs> does. They overrate matchups. Uh, matchups are important, but they're not nearly as important as the pitcher. <laughs> you know? You're not wrong. You are Plesak not wrong. is not a good pitcher. Corbin, highly combustible. Now, there was, there was the 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 strange matter of Corbin. His velocity was way way up at his last start, unlike unlike we're used to seeing him in his entire career and uh, had a good result. I forget who he was facing in that outing, but you know it was it was an aberration that we had to see him do it again. I think given given how combustible he's been this year, and uh, and we didn't. The velocity was back down against the Marlins, and. Uh, Things went kablooey for Corbin. <laughs> uh, well, when I asked you if you remembered my analysis of Plesak yesterday, what I, want, what I wanted you to say was, he stinks, which is exactly what Patrick mm. Corbin does. I hit up Chris Towers. He was at the Mets game. He was there live 
I asked him for a, an in-person scouting report of Carlos Carrasco. <laughs> he said, I thought he looked good, but didn't seem amazing to me. I never feel super comfortable doing that from the game because it's such a weird angle. All right. That's fine. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you could probably assess it better on TV than you can from the stands. That's, I think that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> I think that's fair. Oh my goodness gracious for me. Let's talk about more Red Sox, man. Bobby Dahlbeck, three for four with a double dong. He had seven RBI in that game against the Twins. He sat out his previous two games. He's yeah. only 29% rostered. Seven games on the schedule next week, but only two lefties. Scott, did you have Bobby Dahlbeck as one of your sleepers heading into this week? I did, yeah. I had him as a sleeper for this current week that's happening right now. And I'm breathing a sigh of relief with this game because <laughs> it, it was a big enough game that it, it, it made the recommendation worthwhile. Uh, but I'm not willing to do that again for Dahlbeck. Dahlbeck. Bobby Dahlbeck. I'm not I'm not willing to do that again for him next week, even though the Red Sox have the most favorable matchups of any team, given that Travis Shaw has really thrown a wrench into things. And uh, he started the previous two instead of Dahlbeck, as you mentioned. And not only that, Kyle Schwarber, I believe, made his first appearance at first base in this game. Now, he started at DH, but he shifted to first base later on. And... Uh, so, so it's real now. It's real now. Bobby Dahl, uh, it's real Kyle Schwarber getting playing time at first base, and I think their most optimal lineup is with him there and with J.D. Martinez at DH. So doesn't mean Schwarber's now the everyday first baseman because he, 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 moved, he, he shifted there late in the game, but it does mean that it's something we do have to worry about if we're, we're considering Dahlbeck's prospects for the rest of the season. All right, so this was an awesome game. 29% rostered. Probably don't need to add him, but if you do play in a daily league where you you set your lineup every single day, whenever he's in the lineup, you can get him in there because he's probably going to play against lefties, some lefties, and uh, he crushes lefties. So that's probably where you want Dahlbeck, but in a weekly format, he's probably not going to give you enough consistent playing time. I did just want to talk about a few of these hitters up top, some stud hitters that were doing studly things on Thursday because there was like some really awesome performances. Jose Ramirez went two for three with two walks, two walks, three runs scored, and three steals. He is now up to 29 homers and 19 steals. There was a while there where we were worried about the steal total and he wasn't really running. That uh, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore for Jose Ramirez. Rafael Devers, a sock and a shoe. His 30th home run, his fourth steal of the season. Marcus Semien, double dong. Now his 32 homers. He's batting 271 with 13 steals. I was thinking about this earlier today, Scott. A few players that are going to be hard to rank for next season. And I think Semien is one of those guys. And and maybe he shouldn't be because now it's two of the past three years where he's he's just been awesome. But I don't know. I'm, no, I think I, he should be. I'm kind of. I think he should be. Yeah. I'm kind of interested about like where his value is going to fall into place next year. Jonathan India is another one of those players where I'm very interested to see what his value might be for next season. Shohei Otani hit his 41st home run. Salvador Perez hit a grand slam. It was his 35th homer of the season. He has 86 RBI. He is a catcher. He, I mean, he plays more than other catchers because he's Salvador Perez. He's an Ironman, but like he still doesn't play every day. He has 35 homers and 86 RBI. Like it is 
just mind-boggling how amazing Salvador Perez has been this year. And maybe this guy isn't a stud, but he might win, win you your league, your championship. He's getting hot at the right time, and he's someone who can really carry you. John Carlos Stanton hit his 23rd homer. He is now homered in three straight and five times in his last eight games. News and notes, unfortunately, Reese Hoskins will undergo surgery to repair a lower abdominal issue and will miss the remainder of the season. It's a pretty massive loss, too, because he is the 11th best first baseman in Roto, and considering he missed some time, that's pretty good. He is tied for sixth in fantasy points per game among first basemen this season, so a big loss with Reese Hoskins. Scott, how would you rank these potential replacements? They are all under 60% rostered. Jamer Candelario, Miguel Sano, Brandon Belt. All names that we kind of talk about a lot. Well, if you're limiting it to these three, I would go Sano, Belt, Candelario, but I see the names you're going to mention next, and I think I prefer both of them to the three. Really? Go ahead and mention the other two. Okay, all right, so I, I wrote down in a deeper league, Connor Joe and Frank Schwindel, because they are much more widely available. They're uh, under 30% rostered on CBS. Yeah. You would take both of them over the three names I just mentioned. Yeah, in fact, both Joe and Schwindel are on my sleeper hitters for this upcoming week. The Cubs and Rockies both are among the teams with the five best matchups, and, and obviously they've been very productive of late, both of them. Uh, and Joe especially, like if Joe, rem- if Connor Joe remains a full-time player for the Rockies, and it doesn't sound like Ryan Toppy is that close to returning, I think he's somebody you might just leave in your lineup rest of season. I think the ways his skill set is limited are going to be counteracted by Coors Field. And, um, yeah, he's just such a disciplined hitter that I, I don't know that he really has a stud skill set, but I think he could end up looking like that given where he plays his home games. I'm very excited about Connor Joe at this point. All right, Connor Joe, let's do it. Cattell Marte left Thursday's game with left hip discomfort. Scott, have you ever watched Cattell Marte play the outfield? I not that doesn't stand out to me. He's bad. He's really, yeah. really bad. There was a there was I guess it was like a hard hit fly ball slash line drive to center field, and he turned every which way that you could possibly turn, just like in in one straight line. But he's like turning this way, he's turning that <laughs> way, he's turning, and then it like hits off of his glove, and then he he gets to the wall, and he like does a split, and he falls down, and he like passes the ball to his teammate. It was, man, do not let your kids watch Cattell Marte in the outfield. <laughs> They'll pick up some really bad habits. I hope he's all right, but man, he's he's really bad out there. Mookie Betts returned and was batting third on Thursday behind Trey Turner and Corey Seager. It's worth mentioning that Max Muncy was not in the lineup due to back tightness. And with Betts returning, Gavin Lux was optioned back to AAA. And Scott, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Gavin Lux from a dynasty perspective. Obviously, he hasn't Performed to this level, uh, to this point, he's only played 127 major league games. But in those games, he's batting 217 with a 647 OPS. He can't hit lefties. He's still only 23 years old. But have you seen anything from Lux that gives you hope? Would you try to buy low on him in a dynasty league? I don't know that I would. I'm very concerned about his long term prospects at this point. You do. You're right to point out that he's only 23, and that is. Too early to write off a player, but um, yeah, I, I can't like like to me if you're if you you could buy very low on Lux, I assume you could buy very low on him, and if it's a deep enough dynasty league, you know, 
I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on him if 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 the guy who has him is is just basically punting on him at this point. But I don't have particularly high hopes myself. We had two big returns, you Darvish and Carlos Rodon. Let's start with Rodon. He was at the Blue Jays, five innings, two runs, three strikeouts. Only through 67 pitches, so they're still kind of working him back up. Uh, the fastball was down almost one mile per hour, but it's nothing too worrisome. Uh, next week, he is up against the Pirates, so you're going to want to make sure Rodon is in your lineup. You Darvish up against the Dodgers. Six innings, four runs, six strikeouts to just one walk. He had 15 swinging strikes on 102 pitches against a stacked lineup. Mookie Betts was backing it, but the velocity was down... About 1.4 miles per hour on all of his pitches. And I mean, he throws like six pitches. You Darvish does. Um, the positive in this start, he had a 47% ground ball rate. And uh, the lack of ground balls has been a big issue for you Darvish this season. Two, yeah. two starts next week, Scott, versus the Astros and at the Diamondbacks. I assume you have to get him back in there, but, you know, he's he's been very fringy the past couple months. Yeah, I mean, I, I I consider him a must-start with those two matchups, especially since one of them is highly favorable. Uh, but it, you know, it, it it makes me a little nervous, sure. Uh, you mentioned the ground balls were up in this start, and that's good. Also, the swinging strikes were up. He had 15 of those. That's been an issue for him this year, too. Even when he was going well, his swinging strike rate was down from the past couple years. So, you know... Uh, a mixed bag, a mixed bag in his first start back from the IL. Hopefully the time off did him some good. And I think, I think he, you know, like we've been saying for Zach Wheeler, I think you Darvish, I, I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt, even though he's having, it, it's been kind of a bumpy ride here the past month or two. Alex Cora suggested that Matt Barnes may not be used in a safe situation the next time he pitches which was true on Thursday, technically, because Matt Barnes pitched in the, I guess that would be, yeah, that was the ninth inning. And um, it was a scoreless inning, one walk, two strikeouts. What do you think, Scott? Does Matt Barnes get the next save opportunity? Would you look to add Adam Adovino in some deeper leagues? What do you think? I mean, in a league where there are no saves out there, I don't think it hurts to speculate on Adovino. On Adovino. But I suspect... Barnes is going to get back on track and and end up being the closer to, clo- to to finish out the season. You know, usually when you see a closer just have a really intensely bad <laughs> stretch of games here um, that just seems totally out of character, usually he figures it out. Usually he figures it out. Usually he comes back around and gets back to being the guy we knew him to be. But Obviously, if you can afford to sit Barnes now until he until he shows he's back, that that would be the preference. Apparently, Corey Kluber will be activated and start Monday against the Angels. The Yankees broadcast said the plan is for him to go four innings with Andrew Heaney as a piggyback reliever. So Corey Kluber is 66% rostered. Should we be adding Corey Kluber at this point, Scott? Well, if he's going on Monday... Let me see here. That would make him gonna have to update that. That would make him a two start pitcher. Uh, but he's only gonna go four innings Monday, you said. So yep. that prevents him from having a chance for a win. Um I mean, sure, he needs to be picked up. I think that goes without saying. Would I activate him right away? I doubt it. 
I doubt it. That seems risky. I mean, after such a long layoff anyway, it seems risky without even knowing he's going to be limited to four innings. But I would make sure he's rostered because he was he had seemed to figure things out before he got hurt and was looking like a must-start pitcher again. Yeah, his final six starts, obviously it includes the no-hitter. Before he went on the IL, he had a sub-three ERA in those six starts. So looked like he was coming around. And I believe, I was looking it up to see if I could find it, but I think he got built up to right around 60 pitches. So I, I don't think they'll push him much further than that here in his first start. Lewis Brinson left Thursday's game with a left thumb sprain. Kwang Hyun Kim will indeed start Sunday for the Cardinals. He's 43% rostered. Any interest in Kwang Hyun Kim? Uh, mild interest. Mild interest. He's he's somebody who I'm scared of because like none of the underlying numbers. He he's drastically outperformed his XFIP over the past couple of years, but it's been going on long enough that you know I may need to start to give Kwang Hyun Kim some credit. I just I I don't think he's. I, I think it's only going to be with the right matchups though. Buster Posey has been out two straight with a knee injury. He is day-to-day. Hunter Renfro went on the bereavement list, and Jaron Duran was recalled. And Jaron Duran went one for three with a walk and three runs scored in his return to the Red Sox. I think once Renfro is back, they're probably just going to send Duran back down, but it's notable. TJ Antone will undergo Tommy John surgery on Friday. I am sad. Zach Eflin did not... Uh, make his Thursday start after he experienced discomfort in his right knee while warming up. Gio Urshela returned to the lineup for the Yankees and was batting eighth. Luke Voigt was out of the lineup for the third straight game, and two of those were in Atlanta, so no DH there. I, it's tougher, I get it, to get him in the lineup. But this game was in Oakland, and Luke Voigt still wasn't in the lineup. So, I mean, at what point, Scott, do does this lack of playing time mean that we move on from Luke Voigt and pick up someone else? I think in a head-to-head league, particularly shallower, like 12 teams or fewer, probably to that point. In a Roto League, it's harder because you got a lot more lineup spots to fill and the quality of hitters available on the waiver wire is not great. So you you, you hold out hope that something gives here and, and Voigt gets back in the lineup in that format, I think. But in head-to-head, it's kind of hard to keep them around. The Prospect Report is currently live on CBSSports.com. It was published on Thursday and, of course, written by Scotty Dubs. Five on the Verge, Bobby Witt Jr. I guess there's no junior anymore, right? It's just Bobby Witt. Jose Miranda, Seth Beer, Vidal Brujan, and with Edward Cabrera graduating to the bigs, your new addition is Kiebert Ruiz, and you think he could be coming soon. K-Bear Ruiz, yeah. Kiebert Ruiz. I think so. I stink. What? No, nah, nothing. It's K-Bear. No, right? no, no, you're right. Yeah, that's why okay. I, I said it wrong, and then I said I stink. Not okay. actually, you know, I took a shower when I got <laughs> home, but you get it. <laughs> it's taken a while for us to get there, but I think I think we've settled on the right pronunciation for Mr. Ruiz. Yeah, he had a, he's had back-to-back two homer games on Tuesday and Wednesday. I don't know what he's done on Thursday, but uh, obviously he's heating up. A, got off to a slow start after joining the national system. Coming over from the Dodgers, obviously. So you could understand why they weren't in a hurry to bring him up. But look, they put Josiah Gray right on the big league roster. So they weren't worried about service time considerations for him. Ruiz has already played some in the majors, both this year and last year for the Dodgers. Uh, 
So I, uh, I think it's possible they, they, they give him a trial run as their starting catcher heading into the offseason. Can't guarantee it, of course, but it's possible. Ruiz looks like he could be a stud catcher now. He's been, uh, he's been a top 100 prospect for several years now, but a lot of it was... Well, well, most of it was because his contact rate is just amazing, like 10% strikeout rate. Uh, puts the bat on the ball a ton. And, uh, you know, it has some, has some defensive upside as well that, that factored into it. But he has exploded as a power hitter this year. So you add, you, you, you put legitimate home run power with that kind of contact rate. And, uh, the ceiling is very high for K bear Ruiz and it may begin here in the final month of the season. So keep an eye out for that. Scott, what if I told you that Ruiz on Thursday went one for four with nothing else? Does, does that help his chances? I don't, I don't think so. He is currently <laughs> doesn't make a difference. He is currently eighteen percent rostered. Would you would you try to stash him in two catcher leagues for now? I mean, if you if you have the ability to do so on your bench, probably depends who my second catcher is already. Like Dalton Varsho is pretty available, I think, still, and and there's no way I'd pick up K Bear Ruiz over him. Uh, Max Stassi, I think I'd go with him over. Ruiz, I think I'd go with Travis Darno over him. So you just, you know, it, it. There are catchers with upside, and there are catchers without upside. And and right now, there happens to be a certain number of those catchers with upside out there already. And I go with the proven ones over. Over Ruiz, but you know, Ruiz has a bright future for sure. Scott also wrote about how he doesn't think Bobby Witt is going to get the call this season, but. I want to give people a reason to go read the article so you can find that again on the site. Five prospects on the periphery, unless you want to talk about it, Scott, because you kind of look like you want to talk about it. Well, you know, I'm just guessing, obviously. Yeah. Just I haven't seen anything concrete along those lines. I just get the feeling they're going to wait until next year. Only two September call-ups this year, and the AAA season runs through September. So not a ton of incentive to get him on the Major League roster. I still have him as the top prospect to stash just because if he does get called up, the impact would be huge, potentially. No no other prospect who has a chance of getting promoted comes close to Witt's impact potential. So he's still the top prospect to stash, but that's where we are with stashing prospects right now, that the top prospect to stash is one who's probably not going to be up. And I do wonder if... Well, first of all, I wonder what the CBA is going to look like because they need to settle that this... Off season. Hopefully, we have a baseball season next year. Who even knows? But I think one of the one of the big talking points in that CBA will be how prospects are handled because since there there's been so much manipulation with service time and not calling up a player or, or having a player start on the major league roster even though they're ready. Chris Bryant comes to mind. I could see something similar happening to to Bobby Witt next year. I mean, if if it's a similar service time situation, they'll make some excuse like. Oh, he's got to work on his defense for two weeks, and and then we'll see him in mid-April or whatever it is. But definitely something worth paying attention to is uh, how does that CBA handle service time for prospects for um, starting next year and beyond? Five prospects that are on the periphery. Cardinals second baseman Nolan Gorman, who is tearing it up right now. Pirates second baseman Nick Gonzalez. He was their first-round pick in last year's draft 2020. Cleveland outfielder George Valera. Texas first baseman Dustin Harris. And Diamondback starting pitcher Dre Jameson, who 
I was just listening to the Welsh's Prospect podcast, Prospect One, which you should all check out. It's very good. And he was pumping Jameson up. He is pretty excited about Dre Jameson. And recently, I was just kind of scrolling through like last 30 days in the minors, and he has a ton of strikeouts, a great ERA. So yeah, the Diamondbacks have some pretty interesting pitching prospects. They don't really like show up on on prospect lists, but right, they're performing well. And Dre, Dre they're, they're performing well, yeah. and and Jameson, Dre Jameson in particular. I I don't I don't really understand what the detractors have to say about him because I look at the scouting reports. He has four pitches graded 55 or better. He has a fastball that he hits 98 with. He's kind of small, and apparently the command isn't as good as the control. So I don't know, I, but I but he still seems like a legit prospect to me. Yeah, the the size is everything that I've read is is why he kind of gets pushed down. It's because he's a smaller pitcher, but visually he kind of reminds me of Tim Hudson, who was also small. All right, well, I, 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 just visually, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, right. I mean, obviously that's like a huge comp, right? Tim Hudson. I go deeper, in the, I don't know that I go deeper into the comparison than that. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll get you ready for Week Twenty Three here on Fantasy Baseball Today. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The Week 23 Pitcher and Hitter Planner is presented by Lining Kugels, and let's start off with scheduling for next week. One team has five games. That is the Chicago White Sox. 19 teams have six games. Nine teams have seven games, and then there is one team that plays eight games next week. They will have a doubleheader. That is the New York Mets. So with that, let's get it going with some two-start pitchers that you like for next week. Who you got, Scott? 
Two-star pitchers. There aren't many I like that are highly available. Uh, so not not a great week for sleeper two-star pitchers. However, some that you might be on the fence about, Josiah Gray gets the Phillies and Mets. I think he's pretty close to must-start with those matchups. Waskari Noah, the matchups aren't great at the Dodgers, at the Rockies. Oof. I still think you probably got to start him with, with, with uh, it being a two-start week. Um, let's see others you might second guess. It looks like Shohei Otani is going to make two starts this week. The Angels' rotation is depleted. I don't know. I don't know that they're going to be able to base out his starts as much as they normally like to. So there's a good chance he makes two starts this week, and one would be against the Rangers. The second one, though. So, um, let's see. So Tarek Skubal, he's 75% rostered. He may be out there. The matchups are nothing to write home about. Athletics and uh, at Cincinnati. But, yeah, last three starts were good. And in particular, the last one, he he got the whiffs back. The controls looked better for a while now. So Tarek Skubal, it's probably worth a roll of the dice. For points leagues only, I have Austin Gomber here. And I have Herman Marquez, too, for what it's worth. Though he's... He's more rostered than Gomber at Texas and versus Atlanta. Both of them have, you know, for the season as a whole, they've done fine at home this year, but they've both been, they've both been rough lately. They've both been rough lately. So I, I, my interest in them is limited to points leagues where you don't have to worry about them harming your ERA and whip. It's just, do they score positive or do they score negative? And, uh, I don't know. Those are the most attractive ones. I, I don't really have Eduardo Cabrera, who's who is highly available, thirty six percent rostered. Edward. I don't even ha- I don't even have him in the in the points league only tier. I have him outside of that at the Mets versus the Phillies. So pretty good matchups there. And uh, you know, quality start is major league debut. But we talked about it yesterday. Didn't miss many bats. Ended up having issues with walks uh, after after being really efficient early on. So I think he still has a lot to prove, and I'm not willing to roll the dice on him, even though there's a two-start week coming up. And that is Edward Cabrera, because you did say Eduardo, Scott. So just wanted oh, to come on, give man. you a heads up there. And we are Edward Cabrera, yes, thank you. Despite having two starts next week, we are not starting Zach Plesak or Patrick Corbin. And why is that, Scott? Because they're... They stink. Yes, yes, that is yeah. exactly right, because they stink. All right, some single-start streamers that we like for next week. Who you got? Single-start streamers. Let me pull up that list here. All right, so I mentioned Carlos Carrasco already. Ranger Suarez, my guy. He's also facing the Marlins in Miami, as if he, as if he didn't already have enough home run prevention going for him. Nestor Cortez going against the Orioles. Uh, we've been saying a lot recently, yeah, the Orioles are pretty good against left-handers, actually, but it seems like every time a left-handers face them recently, <laughs> you know, the Orioles just look really bad right now. Uh, Eliezer Hernandez at the Mets. He was decent in a start against the Nationals here on Thursday. And you know, at the Mets, that's obviously a good matchup. Tyler McGill at Washington. I think that's okay. Those are my favorites. Sleeper hitters for next week that are rostered in less than 80% of CBS leagues. So, the Rockies are one of the few teams playing seven games, as you mentioned, and four of those games are at home, and the other three are in Texas against a really bad pitching staff. So, 
I like the Rockies this week. I like CJ Crone. I like Brendan Rogers. Of course, I like Brendan Rogers. I like Connor Joe. Mentioned that already. I don't think Toppy is going to be back at the, any point this week. So they're all, they're three of my top four sleeper hitters for this week. I got Enrique Hernandez in here again. He's the only Red Sox I have, even though they have the most favorable matchups. They don't have hitters that are widely available. Uh, Hunter Renfro is too rostered at this point. Frank Schwindel. Ian Happ, as hot as he's been. Got both of them in, the, in there for the Cubs, as well as Rafael Ortega. But he's actually been uh, he's been pretty horrible against lefties in three of the six pitchers. The Cubs are facing are lefties, so, you know. Not as wild about Ortega, but he is among my 10 sleeper hitters here. I do like Kyle Farmer with the Reds facing four lefties. Yes, Scott. He's, yes. His, his lefty splits are favorable. And obviously... You can start them at a lot of different positions. And I will leave it at that. Those are my those are the sleeper hitters I want to recommend here on the podcast. There are a couple more. Gonna have to check out the article to find those out though. Yes. And just to recap, the five teams with the best hitter matchups, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Reds, the Rockies, and the Yankees. The five teams with the wor- worst hitter matchups, the Cardinals, the Giants, the A's the Diamondbacks, and the Dodgers. So there you have it. The Week 23 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Line and Kugels. And the weekend is here. I'm feeling a Lemon Haze IPA. It's a well-balanced, hazy IPA that blends hops with delicious lemonade. And truthfully, I am not big on IPAs, but this one is different. Big, big fan of the Lemon Haze from Line and Kugels. And you know that's not all they offer. They, of course, have the GOAT. Line and Kugel's Summer Shandy, an awesome blend of crisp beer and refreshing lemonade. Fits perfectly when watching baseball, you're sitting outside in the heat, need a little bit of a refresher. Line and Kugel's Summer Shandy. And I also want to thank everybody who has tweeted in pictures of you picking up some Summer Shandies because that is awesome. Job well done. Do appreciate that. And got to mention their Session Hellas, which has all the flavor of a crisp German-style beer, and it's only 99 calories. So no matter what type of beverage you are craving, Line of Kugels has you covered. Just head on over to Liney.com. That's L-E-I-N-I-E.com or follow Line and Kugels on Instagram or Facebook for more information about all of the delicious beers that they brew. Starter sit for next week. I have a few starting pitchers here that are kind of fringy. They're not must-start pitchers, matchups. Let's see if we like the matchups for some of these. Sonny Gray was at the Brewers on Thursday. Six shutout, six strikeouts. Pretty good start. Now over his last two, he has 13 shutout innings pitched. Next week, he is at home against the Cardinals. Would you start Sonny Gray there? Yeah, that's a good matchup. I would. All right, I did want to pull up Sonny Gray's splits real quick just to see how he's doing at home this season because obviously Great American Ballpark could be a little bit tricky at times. He has a 4.75 ERA at home and a 3.38 ERA on the road. Does that influence your decision at all? I don't think so. All right, Hyunjin Ryu was up against the White Sox and man, the, the wheels are just coming off. I have Ryu in my most important league and I am struggling to find pitching right now. And this just did not help three and two thirds, seven hits, seven runs and his average exit velocity against in this start, 94.6 miles per hour. So giving up a lot of hard contact, 15 starts now since the beginning of June, Ryu has a 4.76 ERA, only 57 strikeouts over 
85 and two thirds innings pitch. That I mean, that is just there's yeah. like below an, uh, a strikeout per inning, and then there's that. That is like severely below. I mean, we're talking 30 less strikeouts, nearly 30 less strikeouts than innings pitched. Would you start or sit Ryu next week against the Baltimore Orioles? Boy, and they're making it tricky with these matchups, huh? Yep. Um, For what it's worth, man. he has a 2.89 ERA in three starts against them this season. I think I'd lean toward, yes, I think I would. But obviously it depends on what kind of pitching depth you're working with. Ryu has, um, yeah, he, he doesn't look right, but he still has good starts often enough that I, I don't think we can... I don't think we could just cast him aside, especially with matchups as favorable as that one. And I should have prefaced this with, these are for 12-team leagues, obviously. So, uh, Zach Gallen, he was at the Phillies on Thursday. Five innings, two runs, zero earned, actually, so some questionable defense behind him. He did have six strikeouts, only nine swinging strikes, 21% called strike plus swinging strike percentage. That's... That's pretty bad, uh, but he's only allowed two runs over his last two starts. Now Zach Gallen has starter sit next week at home against the Padres. I would sit. Um, I'm not sure whether or not to be encouraged by these last two starts. He's not missing a lot of bats. Yeah, he threw his fastball two thirds of the time, 67 percent of the time in this one. Very few curveballs. That's been his hardest hit pitch this year, but it's also been one of his best swing and miss pitches historically. So I don't know that that's a long-term solution, The cur- uh, giving up on the curveball like that. And as I've said before, I still have some concerns that that maybe he's not full strength here after having the, the elbow ligament issue earlier this year. All right. We... Sound the alarms. We had a regression alert on Thursday. Jamison Tyone at the Oakland A's. Three and two-thirds, five runs allowed, three walks. Yeah, he was bad. I was I was watching the start. He, he didn't mm-hmm. really have much. He couldn't command any of his pitches. He was getting hit pretty hard, too. It was it was bad. Um, he's now been pretty mad over his last three starts, actually. Jamison Tyone yeah. has. He's given up four homers during that stretch, and he's he was giving up a lot of fly balls all season long, so... This is always a possibility with a fly ball pitcher. Starter sit next week at the Angels. They have really struggled the last 30 days offensively. Yeah, but I'd, I'd still sit him. I'd still sit him the way the last three starts have gone after we were suspicious of his July performance. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's time to sit Tyone. Not necessarily. I wouldn't be opposed to dropping him, to be honest. But he, he might still be a worthwhile matchups play. I just don't think this this week is the time to use him. All right, let's uh, last one here that I have is Yusei Kikuchi, and he was actually cruising through five starts. He started the sixth inning, and it basically all unraveled for him there. So the final line, he goes five plus. He gives up four hits, four runs, three strikeouts. He actually left the start with the bases loaded. The reliever came in, gave up that grand slam to Salvador Perez. So all those runs get charged to Yusei Kikuchi, and next week he is going up against... The Houston Astros. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you want to do that. I don't think so. No, I. I it wouldn't matter who you said. Who you said, to be honest, whether it was the Rangers or. You mean who you say? Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. No, he's. He looks like a mess right now, and his velocity continues to creep down. 
I don't know exactly why things have gone so wrong for Kikuchi, but as we've seen from him his entire career, when things are bad, they're very, very bad. Aroldis Chapman is in to close the game in a one-run game. I I have no faith whatsoever uh, in what is about to happen, but we'll see. Should you add these hitters anywhere? Luis Arias hit his 17th home run of the season. He is 63% rostered, has started seven straight, and he has a hit, at least one hit in each of those games. He's been playing more regularly because uh, Willie Adamas is, I think it's a calf injury he's dealing with. He's day-to-day. Uh, Luis Arias, he's heating back up here, Scott. Would you look to add him to any of your rosters? I think he's a fine utility option. You know, kind of a poor man's Josh Rojas, maybe. They're probably rostered similarly. But I, I do like Rojas more if you're choosing between the two of them. Yeah, no, it's been a nice uh, it's been a nice season for Luis Arias, right? I mean, former top-ish prospect. We wanted to see something, and he's... Played very well this year, so shout out to him. Colin Moran went four for five with a home run on Thursday, but he sits against lefties pretty consistently. Nineteen percent rostered. Do you need to add him anywhere? Maybe like twelve no. team roto with corner infield. No, I mean no. this isn't part of like a trend for him or anything. It just kind of an isolated good game. So I would not be, I would not be moved to pick up Moran. All right, I brought up Nick Solak the other day. He was recalled by the Rangers. He has played four games since returning, and he has six hits, one homer, one steal, 26% roster, has second base and outfield eligibility. Would you look to add Solak anywhere? I mean, another one where maybe in a 12-team Roto League, middle infield, five outfielders. What do you think? Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence I could see things going well for him. I'm, I'm just not sold based on four games. At AAA, he did hit 353, but he also hit just one home run. Yep. In, uh, I think it was 85 at-bats. I wrote games here, but I think it was 85 at-bats. So, you know, I don't know. I, I want to see more from Solak. It just kind of depends how deep the league is. All right, last one that I have here. Brendan Nimmo went three for four on Thursday, and over his last 15 games... He is batting 311 with two homers and one steal. He's 61% rostered. And I, I know points leagues are shallow. They're only three outfielders. But, I mean, that's probably Nimmo's best format because he walks, he leads off, he gets plate appearances. Oh, yeah. Would you, yeah, he's, would you look to add him in a points league? He's been a quality points league option in the past, and I like that he's playing every day. But we're not seeing enough power, I think, even for those formats. If you're talking about a standard 12-teamer, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think he's uh, he's really been impactful. Even though he's hitting for average, I just don't think there's been enough power. I'm trying to see what his point per game average is. So, <laughs> entered Thursday exactly 2.5 fantasy points per game, which isn't horrible, but it's. It's not somebody who needs to be rostered either. That's like Dylan Carlson mm-hmm. is right there. Um, Josh Rojas is right there too, but obviously he's more versatile than Nemo. For what it's worth, the last 14 days, which is basically the span that I, I brought up where he's batting over 300, he's averaging 3.1 fantasy points per game, but it's a much smaller sample size. So, Yeah, and if that's... I mean, 3.1 would be fine if that was like a something he could sustain over the full season but if that's his hottest stretch yeah just not particularly moved by it 
All right, let's talk about some options potentially in deeper leagues. And I've been meaning to bring up Andy Banyas for days now. We just haven't gotten to him. He had two more hits on Thursday. He now has multiple hits in six straight games for the Texas Rangers. He's 4% rostered. He has first, second, third eligibility. The Rangers play six games next week. I'll throw a bunch of names your way, Scott. You tell me if you like any of these. Obviously, deeper than 12 teams. It could be a 14-teamer, 15-team roto, whatever it might be. Uh, Ramon Arias with the Orioles has 11 hits, including two homers over his last seven games. Leori Garcia has three straight multi-hit games since returning for the White Sox. Bradley Zimmer went two for five with a sock and a shoe on Thursday. He now has six homers and 11 steals. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, Michael Chavis went four for five with a double and two runs scored. He has started four straight games for the Pirates, and he has seven hits during that span. Those four starts, two lefties and two righties. Ramon Arias, Larry Garcia, Andy Banez, Bradley Zimmer, Michael Chavis. Anything to see in deeper leagues? In deeper leagues, Ramon Arias is playing enough and isn't a total dud at the plate. So I could see in a really deep league having some interest in him. And Bradley Zimmer, I mean, he has four home runs, four steals in August, and he's batting right around 200, I think a little over 200 for the month. So he's still not, there's still, he's still not like an impact player. But if you get in a deep enough league, anybody who can provide home runs and stolen bases in some measure has value. And I'm keeping an eye on Michael Chavis because uh, obviously he's, been somebody who's intrigued us in the past and he kind of got in a bad playing time situation with the Red Sox. The strikeouts contributed to that. His rate this year is still awful, but maybe the Pirates will help get him back on track. All right, so I'll give you a Yankees update. Starling Marte got a single. He stole second base. There's two outs. Very pivotal at bat right now going on in the Yankee game. All right, some Thursday leftovers. Ryan Mountcastle went two for four and in the month of August, he is batting 353 with six homers. He's 80% rostered. He might be floating around in some three outfielder shallower leagues, whether it's a head-to-head categories, a head-to-head points league, but Mountcastle is playing very well right now. He's hot. Jonathan India went two for four with his 17th home run. He's batting 275, also has eight steals. Luis Robert is on fire since returning. He's batting 356, three homers, one steal, and 876 OPS with just a 22% strikeout rate since returning. So that, that's that's massive because the strikeouts were a huge issue for him last year, Scott. He's having a weird year when you factor in his numbers from before the injury and after. He only has four home runs in 154 at-bats, uh, but his average exit velocity, his hard hit rate, certainly his strikeout rate are all improved from last year, and it's not like he has launch ankle problems. So I... You know, him hitting 331 with, with four home runs and 154 bats, you know, that seems like the the batting average and the, the home run production that seems like the opposite of what we expected. Uh, and both of those, but but I think the home runs are going to improve some. The batting average is going to come down some, obviously. But I still think the end result is going to be an even better player than we saw as a rookie last year. Tommy Edmond has multiple hits in seven of his last 11 games. Sounds about right. I think two weeks ago, I, I poo-pooed Tommy Edmonds, so thank you. Uh, Nolan Arenado hit his 26th home run, and I put out a poll on Thursday night, Scott. He's batting 255 with an 808 OPS. 26 homers, 
84 RBI. The power production is actually pretty good for Nolan Arenado. But given that entire stat line, again, 255 batting average, I asked if you drafted him where you did, let's say fourth or fifth round, that was probably where his ADP was. Are you pleased with the production that you have gotten from Nolan Arenado this season? What do you think? No. No? No. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it yesterday. This was kind of our worst fears have been realized. He's just become a home run focused right around 800 OPS guy. That's not, he, he doesn't really stand out at his position, which has become a pretty thin position or among hitters in general. And next year, uh, I don't know that we'll be drafting him in the first eight rounds even. First eight rounds. Wow. I mean, well, if he still goes, if he still gives you 30 plus homers and 100 plus RBI. The the comparison I made yesterday was Mike Moustakas. Have we ever drafted Mike Moustakas in the first eight rounds? Good Mike Moustakas, obviously, because he's fallen off quite a bit the past two years. Sure. But when he was, when he was, a 30 to 35 homer guy who hit about 260 with not great on base skills. But correct me if I'm wrong, he only he only did that for one season, right? Mustakis? I mean, at least with Arenado, like it is sustained success. So there's more of a floor with Arenado than there ever was with Mustakis. No, Mustakis had a three year stretch 38 homers, 28 homers, 35 homers. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's pretty good. All right, well, I guess we'll see. Uh, another one, Arenado, he's going to be an interesting one. You're right, by the way. The poll was, uh, we're right around 54% say, nope, that is not enough. I am not happy with Arenado's production this season. A few other notes from Thursday. Pete Alonso went two for four with his 29th home run. Juan Soto, one for three with his 21st. He's batting 300 with a 953 OPS Overall, Joey Gallo hit his 30th home run. Kyle Seager also hit his 30th home run. Kyle Seager has 83 RBI. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, he's, <laughs> on, he's only batting 219, by the way. Uh, Max Scherzer, got to give him a shout-out because he was just awesome. Seven and two-thirds shutout, 10 strikeouts against the Padres. I mean, it's just too easy. The call to the pen, some bullpen updates, and can you believe it? Of all the dramatic things I've ever seen. A roll this Chapman closes it out. And he picks up his 24th save of the season. For the Reds, they had a four-run game. Michael Lorenzen was used in the eighth inning to face two, three, and four in the lineup. Michael Givens was used in the ninth. For the White Sox, Craig Kimbrell picked up his 24th save. Liam Hendricks was not available. And for anyone who left him, left Kimbrell in your lineups, you can thank me because I finally benched him in one of my category leagues. And there you go. That's the week that he gets a save. For the Giants, Tyler Rogers got his 12th save. Jake McGee had pitched three of the last four games. To stream or not to stream, let's start with Friday. Chris Bubich at the Mariners. Jake Odorizzi at the Rangers. Jay Happ at the Pirates. Michael Waka at the Orioles. Rich Hill versus the Nationals. And Paolo Espino at the Mets. Waka at Baltimore, Bubich at Seattle are probably my favorite two, but I don't, I don't love even them. On Saturday, we have Nestor Cortez at the A's, Carlos Hernandez at the Mariners, Tyler Anderson versus the Royals, Steven Brault versus the Cardinals, Adrian Hauser at the Twins, and David Price versus the Rockies in L.A. I will say Nestor Cortez at Oakland is by far my favorite. I most worry about home runs with him, but won't be as much of an issue at that park. 
Uh, who's my second favorite? I guess probably Carlos Hernandez at Seattle. Yeah. Just because David Price, I mean, the, 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 the Dodgers haven't shown a willingness to let Price go six innings. I don't think he has in a single start yet. So his upside is limited even with a favorable matchup like that. And then on Sunday, we have Daniel Lynch at the Mariners, Eric Fetty at the Mets, Tyler McGill versus the Nationals, Chris Archer at the Orioles, and for fun, Will Crow versus the Cardinals. <laughs> Tyler McGill. Well, Daniel Lynch at Seattle would be my top choice, but Tyler McGill versus Washington. I like that too. Will Crow. You know what that made me think of, Scott? The movie The Crow. Have you ever seen it? I haven't. All right. Well, I, I, I can't I can't make fun of you because I haven't seen a bunch of movies that you bring up. But The Crow is a very good movie, and I, I do recommend it. And it's not like a Pauly Shore or Adam Sandler movie. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> it's it's actually a very, it's a very good movie. <sighs> Brandon, yeah, Brandon Lee died filming that movie. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. that's all I, whenever I hear The Crow, that's all I can think about. I think it would kind of make for a somber viewing experience. But Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely is. But it's it's an awesome movie. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty... Pretty powerful movie, I would say. I I've, I watch it a lot. In okay, probably I, don't, I was probably too young to watch it when I did, but it, <laughs> I've, I've watched it many times in my life. Uh, we Not do a lot have, of adult supervision in the Stamphill household, huh? No, 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 no. Uh, there was a yeah, there was a lot going on. Fantasy Justice, let's wrap up the week and help some people out. This one's from Jacob. I'm currently in second place in a 12-team head-to-head categories league with four indefinite keepers each year. We had a sticky situation arise in the last few days where one team took a dump for Mookie. <laughs> what? A dump for Mookie strategy on August 19th. The offending team, who is out of playoff contention, sent Trevor Story, Nick Castellanos, and Charlie Morton for Mookie Betts. On the to uh, for four Mookie bets on the third place team. Outraged as I was, I contacted the league manager and he said he wouldn't do anything since we uh, don't have vetoes. I guess he would say, which I know we do have vetoes. We do have vetoes, which normally I hate. I'm doing a terrible job. I'm sorry, and that I should voice my concerns to the league. Being as late in the season as it is, I opted to email everyone not involved in the trade individually, voicing my concerns and asking them to vote against the trade if they saw it as I did, as destructive to the integrity of the league. A whole drama played out with some nasty messages called my actions collusion when all I was trying to do was get those who are disengaged to take a look and vote. So what is your take on this situation? FYI, the trade was upheld, so it did go through. So it was Story, Nick Cassianos, and Morton for Mookie Betts. Well... Hmm. I don't like trades with a voting system like that. Yes. Um, it kind of surprises me that with a voting system, it passed. So I think that that's your answer right there. In terms of you being accused of collusion, I, I think these things are better done out in the open. Uh, if you had concerns that you wanted to make the rest of the league aware of, just blast it out to the entire league. And yeah, you'll probably have to deal with the people who made the trade defending the trade, but that's that that that's what happens when you criticize trades and, and want people to veto them. You gotta you gotta be willing to deal with that. Uh, as for whether or not the trade should be allowed, 
Look, I get what you're saying. It's a lot to give up for Mookie Betts, but the 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 rules your league set up, the guy was making the trade in his best interest. Mookie Betts is going to be a first rounder next year in all likelihood, and none of the three players he gave up are. So when there's only four keepers, when there's no incentive of any kind for the the teams that are out of it to 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 win, these trades are going to happen. I Yep. And I, I hate stuff like this because it happens in my home league. It's a keeper league. We keep we only keep four players. It's actually very similar to this. It's it's a twelve team head to head points league, but right around the trade deadline, we get a bunch of stuff like this. Whoever's out gives up three or four of their best players for one or two really good keepers the next year. And it's frustrating, but I guess my advice to you would be go out and make a trade as well. If you have anyone who can who's a good keeper for next year. Trade him to a team that's out of it and, and try and get a few of their really good players. I mean, it might be tough if those if those people are not paying attention, but I fight fire with fire, right? That's I think that's probably the only way to do it. Make a trade yourself. So I get what you're saying, but it's it's tough. This next one's from Jeffrey. I play in a 10-team Roto category keeper league that has 20 years of history with high school friends who are very competitive. The league has a history of questionable behavior directed towards whoever the defending champ is at the time. My team is going for its third straight title and has been locked in a back-and-forth battle with one other team for most of the season. That team is currently in first by a couple of points and just made a blockbuster trade with a middling team who was out of contention. That middling team received Matt Olson and Trevor Bauer, who both can be kept for one more year and gave up Max Scherzer, Jose Ramirez, and Jared Walsh. Only Walsh can be kept. Our league has five keeper slots with a two-year keeper eligibility and no value attached. The keepers represent the first five rounds of the draft. You must keep either three hitters or three pitchers. Basically, all right, this is a lot of information. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. There's a lot more. (laughs) In my opinion, this was clearly a dirty lopsided trade designed to knock off the two-time defending champ and was disguised as a middling team building for a next year trade. I I see what you're saying, though, because if Jared Walsh is the only one that can be kept, you're not going to keep him for one of your first five-round picks, right? So the trade doesn't make sense then. Oh, wait, no, that was the person who was receiving it. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, per- the person. Matt Olson and Trevor Bauer. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. The, the person in first place by a couple of points was receiving a couple of awesome players that aren't going to help them, that, that aren't going to be worth, that aren't going to be keepable for the guy who gave them up, Scherzer and Ramirez. Yeah. Right. This There's is- no reason for the middling team to hold on to them because he's out of it this year and he can't keep them. So he needs to get keepable assets in return. Are Matt Olson and Trevor Bauer good enough? I would hope he came to you too as the second place team and see what you would you were willing to offer for Max Scherzer and Jose Ramirez. Yep. Uh, that's that's frustrating to me when I see a blockbuster go through that I wasn't even aware was a possibility. You know, like you don't normally approach somebody out of the blue say, "Hey, you willing to trade me Jose Ramirez?" It's just that's just. <laughs> you know you're you're not going to have a high success rate doing that so it it stinks when the people don't value their own assets enough to really uh really let the the whole league participate in making offers um and i think but i think it's i think it's fair i understand why both teams did it 
Yeah, I think that's a good point, though, Scott, is when you're getting ready to make a blockbuster trade, I mean, specifically in a keeper league like this, you want to shop around. Shop around to everybody. I guess probably the teams that are in contention, that makes more sense, but see who the best keepers you can get in return are. Right. I'm I'm not sure for Scherzer and Ramirez, two first-round or borderline first-round guys. Matt Olson is basically what you got. Keepable Matt Olson. Because Trevor Bauer, I mean, who knows? Yeah. could maybe he'll be worth keeping. I suspect probably not. So, um, yeah, I'm just not sure that's quite a good enough return. Yeah. I mean, it, look, it's worth mentioning again that Scherzer and Ramirez cannot be kept in this instance. So they're really, they're just helping the team that's trying to win it this year. It's very similar to the last question that we got as well. It's, you know, it's a keeper trade. Uh, you'd like to see probably a better pitcher in there or someone with, you know, more stability that we know what's going to happen for next year, but we don't. So, I don't think it's I don't think it's an awful trade in a keeper league, but uh, yeah. I again, my advice: go out and make a trade of your own. Justice has been served. Yeah, for Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We will be back again on Monday. Bye bye.